0: Welcome everybody to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. Um, those of you who are watching the video version, that's Richard uh, showing you his That Early Childhood Nerd T-shirt. And those of you who are listening, Richard just showed everybody his That Early Childhood Nerd Whoa. T-shirt. Thanks. Richard. And where can people buy them? Um, it's, it's Bonfire. I don't know the link off the top of my head. Wow. But if you go to Bonfire, it's it's like a fundraising T-shirt thing. You go to Bonfire. Okay. There you Search go. Search that early childhood nerd. And that's where they are. Sorry. I didn't know you were going to ask me that. Happening. I could have been prepared. Um, I know the link is in my Instagram bio, so there you can go. find it
1: there. I love my shirt. It's soft and comfortable. They are nice I'm shirts. Proud
0: to yeah. Wear. Yeah. I'm, uh... <laughs> I this will tell you the eyeglasses logo is a little bit unfortunate for women of certain shapes,
1: right?
0: <laughs> God damn it, stop that.
2: Listeners, you can imagine what's happening. We won't go into detail. Right. So you're also there's Sam. Sam Balch
0: is here. Hi, and you will all have figured that that's Richard Cohen if you're not, if you're listening and not watching, and I'm Heather. And um, this is the first time I've recorded in a while, and I sort of sort of forgot how it works. And um Zoom always throws me now that it makes that announcement that the meeting's being recorded.
2: That's a little scary. Right? So I was not um, anticipating that.
0: No, it just started that. I don't know if I did something wrong and they felt oh. like they need to keep me in line. I don't know. Um, someone's been well just a to reminder, you're Zooms. the
1: host and Sam and I are guests. That's how oh.
2: We are people the
0: show Oh, up. so yeah. you're counting on me to keep this rolling. Okay. All yes. right. Well, so actually this is, um, I hope this is going to be a, a good conversation. It's one we've been talking about for a long time, <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about a book that um, Exchange Press published um, just not very long ago. Yep. Can of Worms. Fearless
2: thank you,
0: exchange, with Toddlers by Nick Tyronas, and yes, thank you to Exchange. They were very gracious and generous and gave us all um, copies of the book so that we can discuss
1: it. Yeah, thank you, Exchange,
0: <laughs> um, and thanks to Nick for writing it. <laughs> um, for real, but this, thank you. Yeah, so I w- I just want to say when I first saw this book, um, Can of Worms again, Fearless Conversations with Toddlers. The toddler enthusiast in me was just very excited. Right. Um, and um, it, it, it is, a, it went down a little different path than I was expecting, just based on yes. that fearless mm-hmm. conversations with toddlers. Um, and it's, um, it's a much bigger, I guess, topic. And, and it's, it's about, um, it's about gender identity and it's about um, social justice. And it's about how big our jobs as teachers can be and how competent children are and the things that, that we can learn. Um, from them and with them. Um, so even though I was excited about the title, anyway, once I read it, I was, you know, it took me a little deeper than I was expecting it to go. Um, so I'm, I'll we'll do a little sum up here pretty soon of this and start the actual conversation. But did either of you want to throw anything in there?
2: The one thing that stuck out to me, and you just said it's about how competent children are, and absolutely that is so true. It is also about how competent the adults in their lives. Are and Mm -hmm. can be and should be, and how you have the capacity as a teacher to embrace kind of these sticky conversations, these things that I believe he at one point he uses the phrase makes your pulse race. Yeah. (laughs) You can embrace those things and do those. And you don't have to be right 100% of the time. But if you're coming from a place of curiosity, a place of care and compassion, and a commitment to learning and keeping these children learning and keeping them safe, then, you know, just the most incredible things will happen.
1: Um, I would add uh, for, for listeners and also watchers, um, it's a small and it's a thin book. It's a yeah. fast read yeah. and it's not an expensive book. Um, so I would recommend it to anyone, but what I, what I would tell everyone is that um, it dips its toll, it dips its toe into some really complex um, social issues. Mm -hmm. uh, And it barely scratches the surface. So I wouldn't read this book for answers. I would read this book for inspiration for where you should continue your own learning journey. Because he doesn't, there's so much more to go into on some of these topics uh, that I would encourage everyone to, if you find anything that's interesting in this book, Keep on learning because there's mm-hmm. a lot more on many of these topics.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's from a series that Exchange is do is doing called Reimagining Our Work, and I think that's the intent is just to to offer offer books that that are sort of starting points for just that reimagining our work and figuring out um, what it is and what it could be. Um, so I want to jump great. in. Yeah. They have Row a new collection. one too, Cannot that I
2: recommend it highly enough. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's a new one about bad guys that I'm I am uh, so
2: excited yeah, for that them. I
0: just got. So anyway, but- I want to start with this quote. This is actually from the foreword that was written by Margie Carter and Anne Palo. Um, and this is just to sort of give you a, a feel for where the book starts. Um, so a two-year-old and her teacher Nick lie on their bellies eye to eye with a worm. Not part of the quote. I love that image back yes. to the
1: quote. <laughs> We could talk about that for an hour. Right. <laughs> the
0: toddler, Paige, tries to fit the worm into an organizational system, male or female, boy or girl. She asks, does the worm have a penis? Her question hangs in the air while Nick gulps and collects his thoughts, aware that this question could carry them into intimate considerations. How much should I say? How little, he wonders. And he finds his answer in one of my highest values, which is to honor children's thinking by responding honestly. I decided to stick with Paige and her curiosity, her desire to understand rather than let my anxiety stifle the conversation. And so Nick opens a can of worms um, is, is the starting point. So um, I, I think there's something to be discussed there because we've probably all been in those moments where, um, where we have that opportunity to give like a knee jerk black or white kind of answer where we have to deal with maybe our own shock our own discomfort before we decide how to how to progress but i think the imagery of nick being on his belly with that child eye to eye looking at the worm is a good uh, also metaphor for these kinds of of conversations that absolutely.
2: come up absolutely oh, just the just the idea that a we can and should join children at their level and b joining them at their level doesn't take away our identities, our education, the fact that we are adults, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can never be children again, despite how I might act at certain times. (laughs) And it wouldn't be, what's the word? It, It wouldn't be authentic for me if a child asked, if I was in that situation, if a child asked me, does a worm have a penis? It wouldn't be authentic for me not to give any sort of response because I'm an adult who has a whole lifetime of experiences and education and opinions that will influence what I do. And if we decide to tell teachers, you need to discount all of that and only answer in certain ways, mm-hmm. we are losing so much of what makes this profession so important.
1: And I would, and I would <laughs> build on that. That was awesome, Sam. Yeah. Um, and say Sam also does. about that image. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is mine and Sam's first time together on the nerd show. So we don't even excited. know. I can't that. believe that. That's Great. so exciting. Crazy, right? Anyway, um, I really like that both of you are taking a moment to point out that Nick is lying on his belly on the floor with the kids, and how important that is. Unfortunately, you know. So I've been in this field now almost forty years, and that's still um, a revolutionary idea that we early educators should be laying on the floor on our bellies with a child. Um, And there's a lot we can unpack there just (laughs) around, which we have in many nerd Mm -hmm. podcasts about people who go and come into this field um, with an idea of what it means to be a teacher based on the furthest back teacher they can remember, which is maybe first grade, maybe kindergarten. And so they think their job is to teach and they think their job is to control And so I think one of the really important things to understand is that in addition to everything that Sam just listed, is that when you're down on your belly with a child, you are still the adult in the room. There is still a power differential, and it is within your power to decide how that moment's going to go. Am I going to answer the question? Am I going to facilitate? Am I going to ignore it? You're the one who has those choices, regardless of where you're body is positioned and what you think your job is. And so, yeah, what, what also came to mind
0: while you were talking, Sam, cause you mentioned, um, you know, getting down on their level. And I think that's one of those phrases that we use a lot without, um, it's just sort of a reflex. It's a it's it's jargon for our field to get down it's on a child's jargon. level or to meet them at their level. But we start with assumptions about their level that I think Nick really tears apart in this book. Yes. Where we we could say so Paige is a toddler, so she's what one or two years old, probably two if she's asking, um, does the worm have a penis? That's that's probably more two year old um, language than one. Um, I'm
1: six and I'm curious now. <laughs> I don't
2: no, know. If honestly, the and the spoiler the question's not answered. a lot of it. <laughs> right. Like even just even just like the small bits that he, that Nick was using sort of as exposition for yeah. the earless conversations with toddlers. Yeah. I'm like
0: Wait, do worms have
2: penises?
0: Yeah. What? Yeah, but right. kind of I don't know. So so if our assumption I've is dated well, this is a- and I still don't know. <laughs> We'll never well quit.
1: never give up. Bridget. The dates didn't go well. That's so. That's <laughs>
0: God. Well, now I don't know at all what I was saying.
2: <laughs> we had been assumptions
0: meeting we, them at their we had level. Been talking about
2: this, yes, this use of the term "getting down on their yeah. level" as yeah. jargon.
0: Yeah. Well, I think then our assumption. What I was going to say is our assumption is sometimes, and it's an, maybe a an unconscious assumption, as many of them are, is that two year old getting on their level means oversimplify or Mm -hmm. black and white, um, rather than doing what Nick describes through most of the book, and really observing, and sitting with, and thinking about, and not feeling like you have to have an answer in the moment, and that's how he decided what page's level was, Um, after after lots of thoughtful reflection, and observation, and his own sort of body check, and um, emotion check, um, before he said, oh, toddler level, okay, so that's a yes or a no kind of an assumption
2: yeah this idea of of modeling not knowing modeling the fact that the gray area is a really beautiful place to be modeling how to and maybe modeling isn't even the right word because these are just these are these are actual conversations that are happening this isn't like practice for real life this is real life with these children and just having these conversations with them where it's saying you know i'm not really sure Something I have heard before is X Y Z, and I'm not sure if that's totally true. We should find the answer.
1: And what if you do know the answer? Then how do you proceed, mm. Sam?
2: Oh yes, Sam. Good question? Yes, Sam. <laughs> I think I think in the book, Nick does such a. And you mentioned this earlier, Richard. Like a lot of the book goes into topics that I mean, we you could have three PhDs about. about gender identity, about culture and indigeneity and where you're from. There's a whole, I I forget which page and which section, but there's a whole part of the book about this conversation about, um, I think there's two children, there's either one or two children who have an indigenous background and there's one child who doesn't and the child who doesn't is now asking about, oh, what's my tribe? Mm. Where am I from? And that is a hugely complex topic. And I believe in the book, Nick mentions that he doesn't, you know, he can't say for sure if the child does or doesn't have any indigenous background, but he's pretty sure that they don't. So now he's got the answer and he's sort of evaluating in his head, okay, what is this child looking for? Mm -hmm. This child is looking for connection, is looking for identity, not necessarily looking to be named as something, but is looking for a way to connect with peers. So Mm -hmm. he offers an answer that values and respects the fact he does not know everything about her background and starts to sort of pivot and say, I've heard the word tribe used to describe a group of people who you're very close to, who you're connected with, like a family, like a classroom. And I think that was such a, that just struck me so much as Mm -hmm. such a beautiful way of honoring what the child truly needed in that moment, because it would have been really easy to say, oh, well, you're not, you're not native. You're yeah, not. indigenous,
0: Right. And it's not to you. that process that you're describing and that Nick, that Nick described in the book seems really complex. It seems really scary, but for me, I ha as I thought about it more, I thought, um, well, what was that child looking for? He was looking for a schema to fit new information into, right? And that should be really basic. <laughs> so what, what can we do with, with that way of thinking that and even the penis question, um, you know, my schema is boys have a penis and girls don't. And um, if that's the starting point, um, what kinds of information do they need? What's the real question in there? Um, is it really just about anatomy or is it bigger, deeper than that, but, but it's, it's, it's a child looking for more information. Um, And it's, it's maybe more helpful for us, more helpful for them. If the stance we take in our response is, well, let's just keep exploring it and not necessarily here's the fact, put this in your file folder. Right. and, And we'll move
1: on.
2: Right, because we're not at the bank, right? <laughs> we're not here to deposit information into the account of children's brains. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. But a a there's a lot of
1: people in our field who think that that is exactly their job description. Yeah. Right? Um, the child is supposed to leave their time with me knowing more stuff than when they started with me. Mm-hmm. And as I think the three of us are saying is that that's, that's a, a deep misunderstanding of the role of the early educator it might be a decent goal for an elementary school teacher, but in the first five years, right? That goal is off.
0: Yeah, so that, that's one of the quotes that I, that I had um, dog-eared for today. Um, in chapter two, he says, in my younger years as an educator, I tried to make things simple for children, thinking this was quote-unquote developmentally appropriate and not considering what children were actually capable of. I thought my role was to give them answers that would make them feel secure, Years later, I now see that my thinking was far too simplistic and did a disservice to children.
2: Isn't that so, what struck me about that, I just thought it was so funny that, and I I was the same way, right, when I started in this field, that we think that our job is to make things simple for children and make them digestible, but that is actually too simplistic thinking on our end. We are the ones who are thinking too simply when we do that. It's not the children who, right. children do not think simply. They think in complex patterns with zero regard for the conventional bounds of society, which is why I'm in this field. So, <laughs> so well, for us- also oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just, go. again, for us to think that they need it to be simple is in itself far too simple of a thing to do.
1: Right, right. That it needs to be simple implies that the young child is a simple thinker. And as you said, that's also the wrong path to go down. Once you embrace that the child is fully capable and competent for their stage of development, um, it changes the way you interact with them. Um, But also uh, in addition to simple and complex, um, where my mind goes to is there's a, there's a, I don't know what you call them, a subchapter, a subheading somewhere in this book. Um, that says something like, um, living, with, disequ- living blah, with disequilibrium, right? So that takes me back to my Piaget 101, right? And the spiral, the spiraling construction of knowledge in which we go from equilibrium, right? I'm just, re- not for you guys, I'm repeating it for the listeners, maybe who don't know it, right? So equilibrium, that's that place of safety and security. I understand the world, so I'm okay. And then something else happens to you in life and you um, find yourself, you find the pendulum swinging over to, oh, I thought I understood the world, but now something bigger than my understanding just presented itself. Now I'm feeling a little scared because I don't understand it. I'm in disequilibrium. Right. And so going back to that idea of early educators thinking they're teachers, they think the goal is equilibrium Mm -hmm. and it's, it's a complete, um, transformational perspective to realize that for early educators in many ways our goal is disequilibrium is living in the question with the children and um letting that be okay mm-hmm.
2: i want to get living in the question tattooed on my arm <laughs> that is such that is that that's a hot quote i love that oh my god <laughs> i've been i've been uh
0: Looking for quotes for new T-shirts, so maybe that'll be a new T-shirt.
2: That's a ri- but that is uh, that I is, what
0: is. That. yes with your name, Richard, of course.
1: Yes, and I get
0: Jesus. percentage of the profits. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um. So
0: so I had asked each of you to to pick quotes that you wanted to talk about. Should we move into that? And um, one of you share which one.
2: Let's do it. You're bringing to talk about towards the end of the book. I believe it's page eighty. kind of um this is sort of when nick is kind of summing up the book its purpose how it's happening oh yeah it's literally that one um it's also got a great picture like really delightful picture yeah um anyway it says i believe that we as educators have a responsibility to take up children's questions and observations about identity about self and others no matter how fast our pulse races Authentic and responsive education, like authentic and responsive democracy requires, requires real conversations with real people in real time. Mm-hmm. That's the point of all of this for me. Yeah. And that is living in the question. Like Richard <laughs> said, that's, that's exactly what it is. And that, I think that struck me so much partly because a few, a few days before I had read it, I, so I typically work in the mornings, but I was subbing in the afternoon. So I was with some teachers that I hadn't worked with before. And the teacher I was working with kind of knew just sort of like a temporary position, summer break sort of thing. And we were getting to know each other. She's in college, um, delightful to talk to, delightful with the kids. And I had asked her, is this kind of where you envision yourself? Do you want to be in early care? Do you want to be in education at all? And her response was, no, I really want to do something, you know, that's, that's really important and something that makes a big difference oh my god um, and when she said that I wish I could again, be surprised really nice really nice person I was like I okay this is not this is not about me <laughs> okay I get it and she went on to describe how she wants to do social work I'm like and that's wonderful so there's I have nothing against social yeah. work I hope we all succeed um and then I sort of got on my tiny little soapbox and was like, totally hear you. You know, I've been sort of social work adjacent before in some of the schools I've worked in. And I think that's really what led me to early childhood, because this is where I get to use everything I enjoy and everything I feel good at to really make an impact on these first few years and set them up to build a more just and equitable society. <laughs> Don't really know if she was listening to me right, at that point. yeah. But it it struck me so much when I read that. It was like, yeah, that is the point of all of this. The point of all this, again, is not being at the bank and depositing the thoughts into the children and then having them, you know, continue to accrue Mm. something in their account of knowledge. The point is that we're giving children a place to test being in disequilibrium to test defending their ideas to test facing new information and figuring out what to do with it mm-hmm. and after that you know they will learn all, they'll learn colors they'll learn numbers they'll they'll learn all of that mm-hmm. as they do this but if they're not doing this how are they supposed to interact with each other when they get older how mm-hmm. are they supposed to see someone who's different from them or does something different or has a different belief about something and come to a conclusion with them while honoring each other's humanity. They can't do that when they're 10, 20, 30, if they're not learning how to do it when they're two, three, four.
0: Yeah. Or being allowed to do it. Cause it's, it's more that we're, we're, we're teaching them not to do it than that we have to teach them to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And I think that's this, the part of the quote, um, that quote that, that I, think hits hard too, is that idea of a topic that makes your pulse race, because of course they talk about gender identity. He talks about gender identity in the book. He also talks about race in the book. And those are both very scary conversations for, I think most of us when we're faced with it, if we aren't a little bit, um, if, if we aren't, hmm, because we, a lot of us are in disequilibrium yes. learning about those things ourselves. Um, I think about, you know, I just did an episode with the authors of, um, supporting gender diversity in early childhood programs, and it was wonderful, except for me, like I (laughs) was stumbling through the whole thing. Um, but I felt that just even as being like an interviewer with people I was prepared for and, um, uh, you know, I had sort of gotten to a point where I felt like, oh yeah, I'm I'm, I, you know, I'm woke now. I don't need to do any more work. I I've learned that, you know, racism, racism is real and gender identity should be honored and whatever. And, And I stopped working on myself. And then things came up that startled me because I had, because I, because I had stopped that in myself. Um, so if we want to be this kind of teacher, um, we have to, there's, there's work we have to do. We have to continue to do. We have to be living in the question so that we can yeah. support children when they're living in the question. Um, and he does give us some basic, you know, vocabulary about, about gender identity and, um, uh, uh, social justice, the issues that he's talking about. And so that's a helpful piece in this book too, but it's a starting point. Like you said, Richard, it's like, okay, so that's what that word means. That's what that phrase means. How do I learn more about it so that I'm um, less taken aback when children want to uh, want to ask about things in their world.
1: I would just jump in and say, and this is not me tooting my own horn, but um, I don't think, I, no, really seriously. Yeah. Um, I've always lived in the question. I've always walked through my life from the position of a, being a seeker. Uh-huh. So I'm always curious, I try to, always be curious. I try to always sort of live in the question and whatnot. So I've never opened a can of worms because nothing ever felt can of wormy to me. Sure. Um, is that a phrase? Yeah, um, it is now. It is now. Um, uh, and my pulse never raced um, mm. because I'm, I don't know, there's just, you know, I go back to that old Mr. Rogers quote, um, anything that's human can be mentionable. And anything that's mentionable can be manageable. Mm. It's a a bridge version of his famous quote. Um, And so, having understood that from a very young age as an early educator, um, nothing ever made me nervous Mm -hmm. death, sex, body parts, war, race, whatever. It's just all part of the human experience. Um, So, I never had that.
0: Yeah. So, and I
1: would also say, sorry, let me just jump in one more thing, which I may have said on an That early childhood nerd podcast before. The other reason I felt so comfortable is because I guess instinctively, or I don't know where I learned it, I knew that the most important moment of my school year was sort of the open house with the parents and families at the beginning of the school year. Mm -hmm. And once I laid out with them, here's the deal we're going to talk about whatever happens in their lives. So we're sitting here in September. I guarantee you, by the time we're done with each other next June, Um, someone will have asked about sex and death and race (laughs) and gender, and it's going to come up and it's not because I'm teaching it, which is one of the fears people have. Right. Right. Um, It's because I'm creating a space in which your children can be curious about the world and ask whatever they want. And you need to know that I'm never going to give them my answer. That's not appropriate. We're going to wonder about it. We're going to research about it. And I'm going to let you know the minute, any question like that, that could make your pulse, Uh, rise, um, came up today so Mm -hmm. that you're prepared for when you, uh, are with your child after school and having done that work, nothing ever made me nervous to talk about. Yeah. And he says, you know,
0: he mentions that when he's trying to process what to do with Paige's question, he he talks about how he has the kind of relationship with Paige's parents that will allow a comfortable conversation about it. And as you were talking, Richard, I realized that, um, the pulse racing parts of it for me aren't with the children and what do I do in this moment. It's what am I going to do with the adults around me who heard this question? What am I going to do with the parents at the end of the day? Um, that that's where it's way more uncomfortable for me, um, right. depending on the level of relationship.
2: Right, right. I think I think almost all of us have had some experience. With an adult, either as a teacher or when we were children, being told that something is not appropriate to talk about with children, either
0: directly
2: or anywhere, or we heard another teacher say that to another child or to somebody else. And that's giving us that information of, oh, we don't talk about death. Mm -hmm. That's not something we do. And that can be so hard to work yourself out of. And it's one of the things I really appreciated about this book is for people who maybe are having a difficult time figuring out how to work yourself out of that point of there are topics that are off limits for children. It it provides, I think, A, great stories, just great anecdotal evidence of the fact it can be done Mm -hmm. and B, a really decent workable framework for how you can approach these things. Mm -hmm. You know, you can approach it starting, it's okay to be nervous, it's okay. To not know exactly what to say. What's not yeah. okay is to brush it off or to assume that children cannot handle what they've brought up. Mm-hmm. They've brought it up. They can handle it. Yeah, It's yeah. now on us as educators to decide how we approach it.
0: And if we want to go back to, you know, we've gone back to Piaget a couple of times in this conversation. If we want to go back to another sort of, uh, staple of our developmental knowledge and talk about Erickson and his stage of, uh, you know, shame versus self, what is it? Shame versus autonomy versus shame and and initiative versus, um, guilt. guilt. Um, those children who are asking those questions and receiving a brush off or a, "Mm, we don't do that here. That's all contributing to that uh, developmental task that they're working on, um, at that stage of their life. And um, that's important to to keep in mind too, I think.
1: And also, you know, I think as Sam was saying um, or what I was thinking as Sam was was speaking (laughs) is um, this work we do is so complex Mm -hmm. and requires to do it well, requires so many different skills and dispositions and knowledge bases. And most of society does not understand that at all. But one of the pieces, you know, uh, Heather and I are in uh, teacher preparation, meaning community college work. And one of the things that's true there is that the topic of working with parents gets the short shrift. Um, It's really one that doesn't there's not enough time spent on that topic, Mm -hmm. Um, because I was as Sam was speaking, I was thinking about how I sort of boasted earlier about how nothing makes me nervous. And that's true. But. What's also true is the parents that I'm working with are not like me. And Mm -hmm. so if I don't want that child to feel a whole lot of shame or doubt for asking that question, not only do I, not only does how I respond matter, but I also need to be mentoring and supporting the parents um, who are going to continue that conversation at home Mm -hmm. and who are freaking out at the thought of it.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I will say, so I am not in teacher preparation. One day I would love to be, but I have been through Operation mm-hmm. program. Yeah. Um and not only does working with parents sort of get the short end of the stick, I think the things we focus on in working with parents are garbo. <laughs> 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 the, the ways I was taught to like Yeah. Th- it's, very so <laughs> archival, it's very hierarchical.
0: It's very power-driven.
2: The yeah. ways I was taught to work with parents um, you know, were very, very basic. Like have a newsletter. <laughs> email them, make a positive contact within the first week. Like this doesn't help me when a parent has come in to ask me why their child is now talking about a baby who is dead. Uh That, That did not prepare me to have that conversation. Now I figured out how to have that conversation because the majority of this work is trial by fire. So you, you just, you you are now in the, it's drop off and they are asking this question and you are locked in, you have nowhere to go. It is time to have that convo. So if I know that if I had had even just one class period devoted to tough conversations with parents, I would have felt, my pulse would have raced yeah. much less when that happened, when I was 20 years old and I had two parents call me and say, so we're getting a divorce. And I'm like, I'm 20. I don't (laughs) know anything about relationships and you're giving me this information and you're asking me how I'm going to support your child. And I'm like, or the uh,
0: yeah, the prep about difficult conversations with parents and families is how to tell them your child misbehaves. <laughs> yeah, that's the oh difficult God, yeah, conversation but, you're prepared right? for, but but not these more complex ones. Yeah. yeah,
2: not not like Richard said, supporting them throughout their parenting journey. Yeah, we we you know can wax poetic all day about how it takes a village, but we never actually talk about what that village looks like. Mm-hmm. That village looks like giving that parent resources when they say my child is now dressing in a certain way and wants us to refer to them in a certain way and we don't know what that's about Mm -hmm. here's some information for you here's what we'll do at school you let us know if you need anything else at home we're going to check in at the end of the week yeah
0: and doing everything you can to prepare a relationship before that comes up if you can so that it's it can be just an authentic safe conversation and not um we see you're, you're failing as a parent. Here's our, here's resources yeah. to fail less. Yeah. <laughs> right,
1: right. Yeah. So I want to, I want to go back to a word you just used Heather, because um, it comes up in a lot of that early childhood nerd podcasts, uh, especially since uh, Carol Garboden Murray's book, Illuminating Care came out. Yeah. And we can't have an episode without mentioning that. I Thank well, you. What a hero. <laughs> well, so the the longer I'm in this field, the more I come to realize, and the longer I'm on this planet, the more I come to realize that um, the foundation of life and therefore, and that's where we work uh, in early childhood is in the foundational years, is relationships, right? And so um, I might get some good teacher preparation on how to, I might, probably not, but I might get some preparation on how to build a relationship with a child, but how to build a relationship with those parents, with the understanding that as we're standing there together, I'm getting paid to stand there and she or he is paying money to stand there. And so that's a whole layer in the mm-hmm. relationships that I have to learn about how to, to navigate. But, but then it also takes me in my mind to all the other things that I need to do. I need to think about how I set up my room, how I've set up my schedule, how I've empowered the children, because I know, and, and I, Richard, know having been through it, that at some point, some parents gonna come at pickup time, some mom is, and she on a Monday, and she is going to tell me that over the weekend she had a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. How many times have I been in that moment? And one of the many reasons why I'm making sure that everything else is smooth, is that even though I'm gonna be surprised by that moment, I know I can shift gears and go, oh, okay, Uh, my mind was on all these 10 other things to do with the kids. Uh, I got to go back to being a human now. Mm -hmm. This person's in pain and I need to be present for them. And what does that mean in this moment? What does she need from me? Mm -hmm. And I can trust that everything else is working smoothly. I've built a strong relationship, hopefully with my co-teacher and can say, Hey, Josie, uh, I need to speak with um, Susan for a moment. Um, Can you watch the kids? Mm -hmm. And she knows and trusts me and that part's handled so that when that moment comes, I can give that person, that woman, my full attention. If she needs a hug, I give her that. If she needs an ear, I give her that. I also don't try to figure that out. Mm-hmm. You know, I just like I'm there to follow the children's lead, in a moment like that, I'm there to follow the parents' lead. And I've got to have everything else working smoothly so that I can give her my full attention in that moment.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think just as we, we mentioned that we really can't go an episode without mentioning Carol Garbon <laughs> and Murray and Illuminating Care, Heather knows I can't go an episode without mentioning the perils of capitalism and how that impacts everything we do. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, just what you were that. saying, Richard, like I think so much of education right now is so based on the fact that we have to be providing this service and there has to be outcomes and we have to be doing something and producing something. And I think we get to the point where we forget, either in our teacher preparation or just in the day in general, that there's nothing more important than talking to that parent or talking to that child and being in the moment with them, because that's not producing something, mm-hmm. right? That's not right. That's not a valuable thing. Like that's not something tangible. But at the end of the day, not in the
1: patriarchal societies,
0: yeah, right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. That's but yeah. it's it completely
1: valuable. It's literally the service we're providing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but most people don't realize that mm-hmm. right. um, they think that when that mom starts to cry, it's taking me away from my work and I could get in trouble with my boss. But that is literally your work. In right. that, that is That's, the work. Yep. Is the conversations that mom. you
2: have with toddlers is the work. Right. It's not and then the part handker-
1: of what I do with directors is to say to them, this is what's going to retain enrollment yeah. and um, create more enrollment because you're you're. In our field, the best thing you can have is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And if that mom comes back and says, "I had the most amazing experience at ABC Preschool because that teacher was there for me when I needed her," enrollments go up. So you are—it is—it's a—it's a misnomer, or whatever, to think that you're not. I'm no fan of capitalism, but <laughs> if that's—if that's the context <laughs> you're living in, um, we can make that it, case. Yeah, please yeah. know that what you're doing. Uh, is absolutely a productive service that provides economic economic value for your program that mm-hmm. you're getting paid by. Yeah, for boom. Sure. Yeah. Boom. So
0: <laughs> I have no idea how long we've been talking. Um, oh. Because we chit chatted so, so much at the, the beginning, Christmas I know. But I. So, so what that's leading to is: Do we have time for Richard to share his quote?
2: <laughs> I have time for Richard to Richard this time.
1: It's up to you. Guys, yeah. Well, or do you Heather, want? To... Yeah, Heather knows that if I share my quote, we're going into a three-part episode.
2: <laughs>
1: um, that may be true. Yeah, um, and she ain't got time for that. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't actually have a quote. Oh, okay. What I will say is, um, I'll tell I'll tell listeners and watchers that before we started recording, Heather mentioned the possibility of recording a part two session with some other mm-hmm. guests um, on this book, mm-hmm. and. Um, I'd love to continue as part of that one yeah, because absolutely. I'd love to talk more about, you know, you mentioned it. Well, l- let me go back and say for people considering buying this book, mm-hmm. if you are a toddler teacher or a parent with a toddler, this book is not a compendium on how to talk with toddlers, right. even though that's the subtitle of the book. Um, so don't buy it for that reason. Mm-hmm. Buy it because it expands your mind into thinking about um what might be the relationship between talking with toddlers and democracy um, and gender identity and race, let's say tribalism, mm-hmm. uh, some, some big, and even let's throw in capitalism. Some of those big topics are there, are just touched upon. Yeah. And I'm hoping in the next episode, we can explore those more. Yeah. Because you mentioned very briefly the, the gender binary issue, and that was a mind blower in this book for me, mm-hmm. because as sort of progressive as I am, Nick reminded me that I can't just say, oh, well, boys have penises and girls have vaginas. So it's that simple. Um, I forget. Mm-hmm. We're in a world now where that's much more complicated. Should it be more complicated in discussions with two-year-olds? I don't know. And that's the topic I'd like to talk yeah. about. In the next.
0: And, and how the work we do now can impact whether that continues to be complicated and difficult um going forward yeah you're both absolutely welcome we just we couldn't it was hard to get um what are there six of us uh together (laughs) for one recording so um yeah there definitely is a part two coming and um and every you guys are invited back of course but hopefully we'll have mike Huber in on that one and bethany corey in on that one too and maybe emma tempest we'll see she's she's moving and busy um so yeah thank you both very much for this um, for this conversation, I, um, as I wrap up, I do want to share, and I didn't warn you guys that I'm going to do this, but I do want to share with listeners because I don't know what's going to happen to the podcast in the coming months. Um, it may be coming out less frequently, but, um, I am getting ready to start chemotherapy and, um, uh, things are very optimistic and, and I'm, um, I'm hoping to be able to continue recording. Um, but if not, there may be some best of episodes thrown in over the next, um, few months while I'm, while I'm figuring my life out.
1: (laughs) I'll be Joan Rivers if you need a guest host. Perfect.
0: (laughs) I think we're rapidly aging out of the generations that are going to
1: understand what that even means. <laughs> I'll be Anthony Anderson who filled in for Jimmy Kimmel. Okay,
0: yeah, I, I didn't know that one. So now we've covered all our bases. Yes, we've got the Johnny Carson crowd. We've got the Jimmy Kimmel crowd.
1: Surely there could be no others. But, <laughs> you know, look, can I just mention something here? Maybe. we've just been talking about difficult <laughs> how to have how to bring up or no how to navigate difficult topics. Right, with little people. But I just want to point out to your listeners and your watchers that what Heather just did is perfectly exemplify um, exactly what you could do with a difficult conversation, which is um, I mean, the last thing I ever thought I would call Heather Burnt Santee is a grown up. <laughs> um, it was such a lovely, mature, grown up uh, thing to do to say, This is what's happening with me it makes a lot of you nervous. I'm scared too. And um, I'm going to be fine. And here we go. Mm -hmm. And wow, what Heather, what you just modeled for all of us, in case the rest of you didn't notice it is a exemplar of not only early childhood education, and how to talk with young children about difficult topics, but just how to be a a, a super cool, really amazing adult in this world. And I uh, thank you, Heather, for being that for us.
0: Um, yeah. Well, now you're making me turn all red, so it's time to end.
1: Well, good. We needed to get the blood to go up to your face. <laughs> yes,
0: I need. I need, clearly need more blood in my brain. All right. Thank you, Richard. Okay. That was kind. Um, thank you both for this conversation and your flexibility as we've tried to get this set up. And um, and I hope everybody comes back for another episode of that early childhood nerd. Bye. I'll be there. <laughs> and that's the show. Now go get your nerd on.